Hello, folks. This is Eric Sinrod with my colleague, Jonathan Armstrong. I'm with Dwayne Morris. He's with Cordery. And we're bringing you your weekly Tech Law 10, where the world of tech intersects with law, obviously. And we talk for about 10 minutes, although sometimes you get a little extra. Sometimes we go over just a tad. Anyhow, uh, while we're all very busy thinking about the Olympics currently, Jonathan is on a different attack, and he's thinking about Uber. What's on your mind, Jonathan? Well, thanks, Eric, and, and yes, I am. Um, these revelations, I suppose, in some respects aren't new, but I think the extent of them is. And every now and then we take time off to look at a topic that we think is going to be one to watch for the future. And one of my predictions is that this is one such thing. So the allegations are really of the use by online vendors, and particularly what we used to call M-commerce vendors, that they are interrogating mobile devices to find out how much battery those devices have left. Now, why might they do that? Well, a benevolent idea is that they might do it because they'll serve less rich content to preserve the existing bit of juice you have left. But a less benevolent use for this could be to influence pricing. Now, Eric, in these podcasts, we've talked for years, I think now, about how people make less wise decisions when they're about to lose connectivity or mm. they're about to lose battery power. And we've talked before about some of the security risks that we see when people are driven by this a modern opium that is battery to sort of plug their devices in to airports and leave them. I still see plugged in devices on trains on an almost weekly basis. But this research suggests that Uber might be using uh, data like that for other purposes. And the allegations are that when your battery starts to get low, the prices on Uber go up because they know that you're likely to be more desperate to get home, for example, before your battery needs recharging. And some people suggest that the price of that journey that you take could go up by one and a half times or even double if your phone isn't well charged. So the allegation seems to be almost that the less charged your phone is, the more charged you will be. <laughs> the allegations also seem to relate to other e-commerce sites and seem to say that when people are desperate for other things like conventional shopping or a meal, for example, by using one of these delivery applications for food, mm -hmm. that they will also make less wise decisions and that M-commerce retailers know this and charge accordingly. Now, it seems to me that this is something that's potentially very wor worrisome. In part, I think people are generally uh, oversharing when they get new devices. Having had this just this week, I know that newer devices are, are trying to allow you to share more and more information with more third parties. This might be an activity that is technically lawful. It might be disclosed in 
user agreements when you sign up. It might be disclosed in privacy policies. But I think the reality is who looks these days and is a consent uh, like this meaningfully given? I think that U.S. technology businesses particularly will have real issues come uh, May 2018 when the general data protection regulation, the GDPR that we've talked about, comes in. That will have extraterritorial effect. So even if you're a U.S. corporation, if you're targeting uh, EU residents and you know, allowing them to use your own commerce app is probably targeting, particularly in the way in which downloads works, then you will be covered by GDPR, even if you don't have a physical presence in the EU. And the fines, obviously, could be significant. And I think given the public opinion that I expect will uh, drive this when this type of application becomes more well-known, I think we can expect some significant regulatory activity in the next year or so, and certainly when these new powers come in in 2018. It also strikes me that there are existing powers that could potentially come into play here, including legislation in Europe and in the U.S. on uh, deceptive trade practices, if it is true that some of these sites are not disclosing what they're doing. But to me, I don't know about you, Eric, this seems to be a, a slightly left-field area of concern, but from my point of view, one I think that we're likely to hear much more about in the coming months. Yeah, Jonathan, it's a very good topic, and I'm glad you raised it, and I think you covered the waterfront well, and I was thinking about it as you were speaking, and I was thinking, you know, what would be some of the legal arguments against this type of practice, and of course, the first thing I thought about was, you know, you know is this some sort of a privacy violation? And then my mind then left to, you know, is your battery power somehow part of your personally identifiable information? You know, we consider uh, in certain respects, you know, our name and our address and here in the United States, our social security number, these are things that we, you know, our credit card numbers, our banking account numbers, uh, our insurance and medical information is all very near and dear. Uh, does your battery strength on your mobile device fit within the same uh, framework? Uh, good question. Um, you know, perhaps if you're being targeted uh, in a way where uh, you can be almost, I don't know if extortion is the right word, it's probably a little bit strong, but you're in a, a delicate circumstance where you will pay more than you would otherwise, uh, but only because uh, your battery strength or lack thereof uh, is, is seen by a provider. Um, and then, of course, you make the point, well, maybe this is buried in the fine print of the uh, terms of service or even the privacy policy that's, you know, been agreed upon. But then the question is, you know, is there real true agreement? And, you know, we could debate that one forever. Um, and then the, the, the Uber issue comes up in other contexts, too, not only when it comes to battery strength, but there can be surge pricing when people are leaving a big sporting event or a big concert and, uh, you can pay quite a bit more than usual. I don't know if this is true for Lyft or not. Um, no. But then, you could, but then on the flip side, you could say, look, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of supply and demand and the marketplace rules. And if somebody is on low battery power or coming out of a concert and, and needs to get somewhere, if they're willing to pay the freight, I mean, they don't have to. 
um, you know, they can they can turn it down. They can hitchhike. They can walk. <laughs> they can call a friend to pick them up. Uh, you know, so uh, it's an interesting topic. Uh, I think you covered it, frankly, better than I am right now. But I hope I'm providing some responsive points. Um, any final thoughts to wrap this up, Jonathan? No, I think you did it ably, Eric. Don't be don't be so self-critical, and maybe maybe one day we can. Uh, we, we can share a camp together and talk more about it. And Uber across the pond. We'll see how much that costs you. Yeah, I might prefer a good old British black cab, but there we go. Um, so other lift sharing applications are available, uh, and we have to stress that there's still uh, more to be had on this story. There's no allegation of any criminal wrongdoing at this stage. Uh, but we would like you to connect with us if you have uh, opinions either way. You can do that through our LinkedIn forum. Uh, just search Tech Law 10 in the top box of LinkedIn. You can find us on Twitter. And in a uh, reversal of the norm, I'm uh, jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. And Eric, why don't you take us home for a change? I will, and in doing so, speaking of taking home, when I studied in London long ago and far away, the, the black taxi cab uh, taxi drive, well, you got in the black taxi cab and you had a driver, and those drivers back in the day were required to know by heart, by memory, every street in London. And London is a convoluted place to drive around. Uh, did not have GPS technology. They did not have you know, Uber apps. They knew all the streets. Uh, and you could just tell them where to go, and they would take you there uh, before taking it home <laughs> in a cab. Yeah, and quite often cabs are cheaper than Uber as a result because they'll know back streets to avoid traffic. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't think the London cab is dead yet. So there is still the human element. So long live the human element. Okay, now bring it home. <laughs> this is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris. My email address is ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, Jonathan, did you just provide your email address? I forgive me if I missed that. I did indeed. And uh, so I guess all that we have to say is speak to you in a week or so. All right. Take care. Cheers. Take care. Bye.